We are continuing today in our series of First Samuel, and I'm really excited to be doing that with you right now. Um, last week, we, we looked at a very important portion of the opening chapters, and that was in chapter 2. We specifically looked at the life of a few priests, and two of which really abused their position. So if you haven't had a chance to listen to that and you want to hear that message, I want to encourage you to go ahead and sign up for our podcast. You can do that with any one of your smart devices on Google, on Spotify, on Apple. We're there. All you have to do is type in our church name, and I encourage you to listen to that message. This week we're going to be in chapter 3 and 4, but we're mainly going to be in chapter for today. So before we jump into today's message, I'd like for you to bow your heads and close your eyes in another time of prayer with me. Father, we thank you for this time where we get to gather to be your church, to explore the pages of your scriptures. I pray, Lord, that as we read your word, that it would illuminate to us, that we would see what you want us to, to see, and we would hear what you want us to hear. Father, I pray that this time would not be wasted, but that we would use this opportunity to grow closer to you. So may we all come with hearts ready to receive what you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. If you didn't know, in 1932, a famous lighter came onto the scene, and many of you have probably heard of it before, and it's called a Zippo lighter. Any of you ever heard of a Zippo lighter before? So they're usually a tin metal lighter that you has a signature noise if you slide it open. And these lighters were really special because they were windproof, right? Meaning that you could light the flame, and despite winds or different difficult conditions, it would remain lit. So it became a very popular lighter for military servicemen, and it was so that in the Vietnam War, there was a particular first lieutenant named Harold Fritz who had one of these lighters. So Harold was leading a convoy of military vehicles through Vietnam when he was surprise attacked by North Vietnamese in the area. And they began undergoing fire, and he led the charge to be able to get out of that situation and fight back in that situation. And later on, when he was evacuated out of that scene, he took his lighter out of his pocket and noticed that there was a bullet in it. And you see, that lighter was a gift from his wife that was given to him before he went and shipped off. So that lighter ended up becoming a lucky talisman of sorts for him, where he would have that lighter with him at all times as a good luck charm. And you know, it's kind of silly when we think about things that are good luck charms, but at least in the life of Harold Fritz, this definitely served as a lucky situation, right? Where this lighter in some ways prevented him from taking on that bullet that could have penetrated into his body. But as silly as it might be to have lucky, lucky things that, 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 I don't know, we put our faith into, we all in some ways maybe give into these little things. And I know one of the ways that we often see it in display is in sports, right? Maybe you know of somebody that when their team is playing, they don a special lucky 
jacket or a special lucky jersey that they haven't washed for 25 years because if they wash that jersey, then all the power of the luck on that jersey will go away, despite not even playing the game for themselves. But we all probably have something that we do that we hope will bring us good fortune, even if deep down inside we're not really sure if it's going to make a difference. Well, in today's story, I'm go- we're going to be looking at the lives of people who I believe in very many ways did something similar. But unfortunately for them, this cost them the lives of many people and damaged the whole entire nation of Israel. So in order for us to do that, we're going to be in chapter 4. But just kind of as a footnote of chapter 3, I want to let you guys know as we're journeying along in 1 Samuel that God is starting to raise up Samuel as a priest and a prophet and a leader for the people, but we're going to be in chapter 4 now. So if you would, we're going to be chapter, where I'm going to be reading right now from chapter 4, 1 through part of uh, verse 3. So I'll be stopping at the first portion of verse 3 and we'll go back to it a little bit later. So it says this, Now the Israelites went out to fight against the Philistines. The Israelites camped at Ebenezer and the Philistines at Aphek. The Philistines deployed their forces to meet Israel. And as the battle spread, Israel was defeated by the Philistines, who killed about 4,000 of them on the battlefield. When the soldiers returned to camp, the elders of Israel asked, And this is what's really important here. The elders of Israel asked, why did the Lord bring defeat on us today before the Philistines? And I want to stop right there. So why did the Lord bring defeat on us today before the Philistines? And this is their response to that. Let us bring the ark of the Lord's covenant from Shiloh so that they may go with us and save us from the hands of the enemy. So Israel is at war with who? The Philistines, right. And we don't know from Scripture who is the aggressor here, whether Israel is going out and fighting the Philistines or if the Philistines are challenging Israel. In the Septuagint, which is the Greek text of the Bible, it's believed that the Philistines are the aggressors here. They were a very strong nation from the southwestern portion of Palestine that was moving their way up through where Israel was in the region of Shiloh here. And they were fighting strong fights against Israel because, you see, the Philistines had begun to discover bronze and they were using those weapons as a way to be able to conquer other nations with Israel being one of them. So these two nations were warring with each other and fighting with each other when all of a sudden what happens? Israel loses a big battle. And from what we just read, how many people died? 4,000 people died from this battle. 
Now, that's no small number, and especially so, it's no small number if you think about what the nation of Israel was supposed to represent. Now, if you haven't read the Old Testament before and what has led up to the book of 1 Samuel, let me give you a brief account of some of the events. Israel was selected specifically by God to be His chosen people. Now, it wasn't that this nation of people were born to be superior from all else. If anything, these people were oftentimes known for being weak. But God used this group of people to be the people that He would choose to eventually bring forth the Messiah in who we know as Jesus Christ. So when the nation was being formed, there was already so many other nations that were superpowers of their day. And God specifically used different men and women through the Hebrew people to bring them through. For in, in one story in particular, they literally get out of Egypt and from their enslavement into this promised land. So to say the very least, God is with these people. He's caring for these people, and He's allowing these people to succeed, not so that they can just have military might over the world, but rather so that the Savior can one day come through these people and allow the Savior to bring redemption to the world. So, it would be safe to assume that Israel had a special place in history. And I don't know about you, but if all the other nations are following foreign gods, gods that don't even exist, gods and beliefs that call them to do things that are deplorable, wouldn't you think that the favor of the Lord would be upon you, or to put it in other terms, in this situation, for Israel to lose 4,000 people created in them a sense of questioning. Because they believed that God was for them and with them, but here in this story, what happens? For them, it feels like the opposite. And it causes them to do what? To question, to ask the question, why did the Lord bring defeat on us today before the Philistines? Because it didn't make sense. They were supposed to be God's people. They were supposed to be the people that the Lord would rescue and use and continue to elevate in order to bring the Savior. But why did the Lord bring defeat on us today? You see, for whatever reason, many of us, we have a fear in asking questions, right? And I'm not just talking about questions to a teacher. Some of us are afraid to ask questions to a teacher because we don't want to look dumb. But many of us have a fear of asking questions to God because we feel in some ways that by doing that, we aren't putting our trust in Him. 
Or maybe we're exposing in ourselves the weakness of our faith. Or maybe we think that if we ask God a question, that He will be disappointed in us for even having doubts. But Israel rightly in this moment decides to ask the question, God, why did you allow this to happen? Now I want you to ask yourself, what are the questions you are asking in your life and where are those questions coming from? You see, chances are, if you're asking questions to God in life, I believe that some of the reasons why we question are because of doubts we're going through. Maybe there's a situation in your life that is causing you to doubt God's goodness or doubt what you know about God, so that causes you to question. I also think one of the reasons why we might question God or have questions in our lives is because we desire understanding. We desire to understand why it is this is happening. You see, if you've ever felt in yourself a feeling of anger over seeing a situation unfold that you feel like should have unfolded in a different way, it could very well be that that is the justice that the Lord has put in your heart, swelling up and you, in some ways, not appreciating or not liking what's happening before you. So, so you question because you want to understand why it is something's happening the way that it's happening because it doesn't make sense for this to happen if God loves us. That is very similar, I believe, to what Israel was facing in this moment. They saw 4,000 people killed And they didn't have a good understanding of why the Lord would allow this to happen if God loves His people. What are the questions in your life that you are asking towards God, and where are they coming from? You see, many of us think that asking questions are wrong, but in reality, the danger in life is not that we ask questions. The danger in life is failing to wait for an answer. I'll say it again. The danger is not asking a question. It's in failing to wait for an answer. Do you hear what I'm trying to say here? Do you see what I'm trying to say here? You see, the Lord doesn't rebuke us when we have a genuine question, when we're trying to genuinely understand what God is doing in our lives. There is nothing wrong with asking Him questions for that. Yes, it could be that sometimes you get answers and it's like a second later you forget that, but what I'm really trying to get at here is the fact that it is nothing wrong with asking a question, but we need to make sure that we are the kinds of people that not only ask questions, but do what? Wait to hear from the Lord. So let me encourage you, church, on this morning to ask good questions and ask them to the Lord if that is something that you need, but to not allow those questions to go 
without waiting for an answer. Dallas Willard says this much. Our failure to hear his voice when we want when we want to is due to the fact that we do not in general want to hear it. That we want it only when we think we need it. And I think this is on full display here with the Israelites, because they go from asking a very, very good question, why did the Lord bring defeat on us today? And they immediately go into doing what? Instead of waiting to hear from God, they go from, let us bring the ark of the Lord's covenant from Shiloh so that he may go with us and save us from the hands of our enemy. So in the case of Israel, they want to understand what's going on, but they don't wait for an answer, and they immediately try to force a solution into their own situation. And it continues in verse 4, and it says, So the people sent men to Shiloh, and they brought back the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord Almighty, who is enthroned between the cherubim. And Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the Ark of the Covenant. So in this story, the elders rightly ask the question, but they immediately go into a response. And instead of waiting to the Lord, they try to figure out for themselves how they can force the next situation, how they can turn the tides between this war between Philistine and, uh, Philist- the Philistines and them and, and create a response that is favorable to the outcome they are desiring. Now, if you didn't know, the Ark of the Covenant represents the very presence of God. And inside this Ark of the Covenant were special relics, if you will, of the people of God. Like, for instance, one of the things that was in it were the tablets that God wrote on or that Moses wrote on during his visit with the Lord in Mount Sinai. But the people of Israel are making a huge mistake here. And that is they aren't waiting on the Lord. They're treating the Ark of the Covenant as a good luck charm in order to win their battle against the Philistines. So instead of actually going to God and going to his priest and his prophets in order to understand why it is that the Lord allowed this defeat. They think that they can take the Ark of the Covenant and wave it like a magic wand over their situation. You see, we need to, as people, remain patient in the Lord. What do I mean by that? I think so many of us are always in a hurry to end up hearing the answers we want to hear, to have the results that we want to have, that we very seldomly create space and room for the Lord to act in our lives. I like this quote from A.W. Tozer who says, God never hurries. There are no deadlines against which He must work only to know this is to quiet our spirits and relax our nerves. You see, Israel 
needed to be able to be patient and wait on the Lord. And some of you are going through situations or know of people who have gone through situations or going through situations that need to be able to wait on the Lord. Need to be able to be patient enough to say, God, I have this question and I might not understand what's going on right now, but here's my question and I'm going to wait for you to give me an answer. Now, that is a difficult thing to do in an instant society where you simply, if you want something, you take out your phone, you press a button, and it shows up at your door the next day. And this concept of patience in our society is becoming less and less. But God, we need to work on this if we actually expect to receive an answer from the Lord. So instead of doing that, what do the, what do the Israelites do? They take the ark, and it says in verse 5, it says, when the ark of the Lord's covenant came into the camp, all Israel raised such a great shout, and the ground shook. Hearing the uproar, the Philistines asked, what's all this shouting in the Hebrew camp? Interestingly enough, the Israelites, when they see this ark come into their camp, they think that they can use this as the magic wand over this situation and that now the victory is going to be there because the presence of God that lives in this box can't be defeated. And the Philistines rightly fear from this situation that God, the gods are now with Israel. But what's sad about this story is the Philistines have more respect for the Ark of the Covenant than the people of Israel themselves. And what ends up happening next is, is they go into the battle and the Philistines say to themselves, the only way that we can defeat the Israelites is if we fight harder than we've ever fought before because they have the gods with them now. So the Philistines fight the Israelites and they defeat Israel. And they not only defeat Israel, but they steal the Ark of the Covenant from Israel. And the Ark is gone. And Israel literally loses one of the most precious things to their whole entire society and culture. And the Ark of the Covenant is lost. You see, oftentimes, if we do not take the time to listen carefully to God, then what ends up happening is, is we end up creating pain in our lives. We end up creating hurt in our lives. And we not only affect ourselves, but we have the potential to affect others. Ask yourself this question. Are you creating space in your life to hear God's voice? To allow Him to speak to the things that you are questioning? Or do you just simply block that out because you want to just move on impatiently to forcing your own results in creating your own answers. 
Because when you try to force those things, the only byproduct you can expect to receive is pain, is hurt, is loss. Which is why my main point for today's message is listening to God spares us from trouble. Listening to God spares us from trouble. Here's the thing. Many of us in this life will experience moments of great pain and hardship. And when I say something like listening to God spares us from trouble, do not hear me saying that if you listen to God, all your problems go away. Or if you are going through troubles, that means you haven't been listening to God. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is is that whatever situation you are going through, whatever low moment in life you are experiencing, you need to create a space to be able to listen to God so that He can help you through these troubles. And that even though the outside situation may look grim, you can have the confidence to know that the Lord is speaking into your life. You know, oftentimes when I have to make a decision, whether it's for the church or for the family or for just my own personal life, sometimes I don't always know what the outcome of those decisions are going to be. And not every time do I get it right. But when I take the time to hear from the Lord and hear what I believe He wants me to know, I can have the confidence to know that regardless of the outcome, I did what God wanted me to do. You know, in just a moment, we are going to be taking communion. And I cannot think of a person better than the person of Jesus who at times, even in his own life, had to go and talk to God and ask him a question. And I'm specifically thinking about his time in the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus did what? He said, Lord, he asked him, Lord, if you can, take this cup away from me because he realized that the pain and suffering that he was about to take on in his life was going to be greater than any normal man could handle. And he asked for that to be taken. But ultimately, he approached that cross. He approached that pain with the confidence of knowing that he was doing what the Lord called him to do, regardless of the pain and the suffering that he was facing. And that's what I'm trying to get at here, that concept of when we go to the Lord and allow him to speak into our lives, have the confidence and in the peace that when we go through life, we can have peace even in the face of adversity and situations. But I also believe that by listening to God, we can truly be spared from trouble. And I think that 
if the Israelite people had taken the time to not just ask a question, but listen for God's response, that they could have spared themselves from another defeat and from the Ark of the Covenant from being stolen. My question for you today is, what things in your lives do you need to take the time to listen to the Lord with? Because chances are there is something in every single one of our lives here that we need to create some space for and allow God to speak into. So my challenge for you this week is to ask God a question that you've been struggling with, but then to take time to wait for an answer and to create some space for the Lord to answer. And if you feel like He's taking His time, well then just keep asking that question. Keep asking that question and keep trying to exercise patience and allowing the Lord to give you an answer. He might answer you through something you read in Scripture. He might answer you through somebody in this church or a, a fellow Christian that speaks truth into your life. He might answer you by just a heavy conviction to do something that you know comes from Him. And He might answer you by that still small voice that comes into our mind and in our hearts on what we need to do. But we need to take the time, church, to allow the Holy Spirit to actually answer the questions of our heart. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank You that we can approach Your throne with confidence that we can ask questions and that you genuinely desire to give us answers. I pray, Lord, that if there are people here today that have been struggling with questions on their hearts for their situations or maybe on behalf of the situations of others, Lord, that you would take the time to be able to provide an answer. God, I pray that you would help us to not treat you like a good luck charm, that we wouldn't use you in that way, that, Lord, you mean more than that, that, Lord, you desire a relationship with us. You desire to change us from the inside out, and I pray that that would be the case, that we would experience that, and that you would help Grow our patience to be able to listen to your voice. I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.